Ah, yes. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios here in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Mraz, your host, as always. The housekeeping items, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. I am very excited that our numbers have been going up, maybe because I've been a little bit more controversial than I was in the beginning, but you know what? Sometimes you got to be a little bit on edge in order to get a point across. I want to start off today by just putting into your mind a theory. When somebody tries to get a point across to you and you don't like it, what do they do in order to change your opinion? They try to form the same argument in a different way. It's effectively tricking your mind in order for you to agree to something that is the same principle as what you initially disagreed with. People do it all the time. When parents are trying to get kids to eat their vegetables, that's what they do. They find a way to trick the kids into thinking that a carrot is somehow orange ice cream that tastes weird. Okay, maybe not exactly that, and I'm not sure of any parent that has effectively tried that, but you get my point is that if the kid doesn't want to eat his carrots, then you tell him that he's actually eating a frozen creamsicle that tastes like a carrot. Does the kid buy the fact that it's not an orange creamsicle? Maybe. Depends on who it is. Depends upon whether the kid has actually investigated enough to the point where he thinks it's a carrot or knows for certain that it is not an orange creamsicle. Now, why do I bring this up? My whole point here is that sometimes in order to win an argument, you have to frame it differently. But sometimes, more often than not, if you frame an argument differently, then what that means is that the person that you're arguing to has to be able to discern whether it is actually a new argument or whether or not it's the same argument as before shifted in a different phraseology. And that is what we have with the latest proposal from the Major League Baseball player owners. Carl Ravitch of ESPN tweeted, MLB has made proposal to players, 75% prorated salary, 76-game season, playoff pool money, no draft pick compensation for signing player, season finishes September 27th, postseason ends at the end of October, significant move towards players' demands and effort to play more. That is what Carl Ravitch got from the owners. But this is just the same argument as before, phrased in a different light. Mike Axisa of CBS Sports was able to do the math. And basically what he said in this tweet is effectively that this is the same money as was being offered before. He writes, 82 games at sliding scale equals 33% salary. 50 games at prorated pay, 33% salary. 76 games at 75% prorated pay, also 33% salary. It all comes back to the same place. MLB keeps making the same offer in different forms. So at the onset, you look at 76 games with 75% prorated pay, you would think that's better. 
But the problem is, is that if you're only doing 75% of the prorated salary, then that means the numbers go down. And he did the math to the point where that effectively equals fully prorated salaries at the 50 games that the owners had talked about last week. They are not moving off of that dollar figure. Now, I want to read this Twitter thread from Jeff Passan, which gives you a much better idea in terms of money. He starts off with thread. Here's how to understand MLB's current offer to the players as compared to its last offer and the possibility of a 48-game season. Original offer, 82 games, players receive $1.03 billion in salary and $200 million if playoffs are played. Current offer, 76 games, players receive $989 million in salary and $443 million if playoffs are played, plus no direct draft pick compensation. 48-game option, $1.03 billion in salary, no playoff money. Next tweet. The structure of the league's last two offers are the same, a 50% cut on prorated salary plus a playoff bonus. This one, bonus doubled, and with a $50 million playoff pool to be distributed to players, it would take them in total to 75% of prorated salaries if postseason is played. Players see it like they're getting less guaranteed, which they are. The expanded playoff pool adds higher potential upside, and the dropping of direct draft pick compensation unquestionably helps some of the best free agents. But players have held firm on 100% prorated salaries. Every day that goes by without an agreement, the length of the season drops. And after hearing from players already about this proposal, the prospect of a 48-game season is looking likelier. They've been asked to respond by Wednesday, according to sources. One high-ranking official said, in no uncertain terms, quote, there will be baseball, unquote. The question is, will it be with sides agreeing to a deal or with the league implementing a 48-game schedule, no expanded playoffs, and almost certainly a grievance filed by the union? And then Passon has one more tweet, and we're recording this on Monday at about 11 a.m. Pacific time. And the reason why we're recording today and we didn't do it last night before this morning is that we wanted to make sure that we got this news of this proposal in. Easiest way to look at MLB's current offer, Passon tweets, best case, the players would receive $1.432 billion. A 57-game season at full prorated salaries would be $1.4319 billion. Factoring in the lack of draft pick comp, estimated worth 50 to 100 million would move it from 59 to 61 games full pro rated. Now, there is something that got tweeted by Bob Nightingale of USA Today, and by the way, I'm tired of Bob Nightingale saying that there will be a baseball season like Bob. It is not your decision. Okay? It is not your decision whether there's a baseball season or not. So stop trying to blur the line between fact and opinion. But Bob did get this good piece of information. He says that the proposal also requires the players to sign an acknowledgement of risk waiver while playing games during the pandemic. And he also wrote an article that says that the Players Association considers MLB's latest offer to be a step backwards. So after the owners said that they weren't going to counterpropose the players' union's 114-game proposal, that they decided, okay, we'll add in more games, but we'll reduce prorated salaries so that the equivalent of the dollar figure 
ends up being the same as fully prorated salaries for a 48 or a 50 game season. For me at this point, this is a fight over money, but with this acknowledgement of risk waiver that was just put in for the first time, the owners are acknowledging that there is a risk for the players to play this season. That is why I feel like that notification in this proposal is critical. How do the players respond to that? Can the players still opt out? You would think that they probably could if they don't want to sign the waiver. Basically, MLB is waiving all liability by making players sign this waiver. So MLB owners are taking basically zero responsibility if a player ends up with COVID-19. And the players' union, obviously, is not going to go for that. Craig Calcaterra of NBC Sports linked an important article from Bradford Davis of the New York Daily News about the uncertainty in regards to communications between Major League Baseball and local health officials. And I want to read to you this article in full because there seems to be a discrepancy about how much MLB has been in contact with local health officials in regards to getting a season underway. It almost seems as if MLB has been lying to the public about how much they have been in contact with health officials. So I'm going to read to you this article. Fueled by the backing of government officials at the highest levels, Major League Baseball is attempting to force itself through viral contagion with soon-to-be-blown deadlines of July 4th for opening day and a June 10th spring training. On the merits of it as civic institution essential to the spiritual and financial health of the American communities it represents. The unavoidable close contact needed for a team sport can't help but put players at risk. The league addressed this problem in its 67-page health and safety protocol draft, outlining testing strategy, screening measures, and plan of care in the event of an infection or exposure to the coronavirus, delivered to the Players Union on May 16th. Since teams play in different cities with different health protocols, one would expect local health departments to be involved and consulted, both ensuring the safety of the players and allowing the community to prepare for reintroduction of baseball. Yet, when the Daily News asked the New York City Department of Health, which serves a constituency that has Yankee Stadium, City Field, and one out of every six of the United States' confirmed COVID-19 deaths about its collaboration with MLB, an emailed response said it all. Quote, has there been any formal proposal presented? End quote. I'll stop the article just for a moment. The fact that you got that response from the New York City Health Department is alarming because it basically says that the health department has no idea of any protocols that MLB has presented to its players' union. It seems as if, at least per a brief email response, that they've been left in the dark. The article continues. Yes, New York, there has. Section 2.1.3 of the proposal claims that each team needs to establish their own emergency action plan, quote, in consultation with its government health authorities, end quote. On June 2nd, MLB told the Daily News that, quote, 
Each of our clubs already has contacted their local or county officials where appropriate or will do so shortly after a second draft of the protocols is completed, end quote. Further clarifying that their safety protocols were delivered to individuals designated by the governor in each state with a baseball team. Yet, of the 28 city and county health departments that the news contacted prior to June 2nd, only five confirmed any interaction with MLB or the local team in their jurisdiction regarding health and safety measures, and only four reported they received MLB's health and safety protocol from the league or club. Since MLB's June 2nd claim, three health departments, Cobb County, Georgia, which serves the Atlanta Braves, the city of Detroit, and the city of Minneapolis have reconfirmed that neither MLB nor their respective teams have contacted them to discuss plans. Of the departments that spoke to us, multiple health officials and representatives told the Daily News that the lack of communication with the league or awareness of their plans made them reluctant to address health and safety measures. Other local health leaders presented serious questions, if not irreconcilable conflicts with the proposed procedures in place, or at least what they understood of them. And that's when health departments spoke at all. Milwaukee Health Department Commissioner Dr. Jeanette Kowalik expressed reservations about multiple aspects of the league's testing plan. Though she said she engaged in positive discussions with the Brewers, her concerns were compounded by the lack of information provided by the league. Quote from Koalik, if you get tested, say tomorrow, and it comes back negative 24 hours later, you could be positive the next day, end quote. Upon learning that the league's frequent COVID-19 testing wasn't intended to be daily, which the document itself doesn't say, but was sourced independently by the Daily News, Koalik said, quote, anytime you're leaving the compound and being around other people, you may be exposed to the virus. So, I think again, three times a week, I don't know where the logic or guidelines are coming from for that, end quote. And in parentheses, it says, the CDC does not provide guidelines on frequency of employer-based testing for sporting events. As a local public health professional, Kowalik wanted answers about the medical advice MLB was receiving regarding who was covered under the testing plan and who was left out namely the cleaners, transportation workers, and others. Quote, I would think anyone that's involved within the organization in some way, shape, or form should be tested, Kolick said, a sentiment she repeated even after learning that staffers that weren't covered by the plan were restricted from making contact with players. Quote, I just need more information related to why that decision is being made, end quote from Kolick. The article continues, Dr. Frederick Eccles, director of the St. Louis City Department of Health, expressed his office's confidence in their relationship with the Cardinals, which he had said was in discussions with them regarding their pre-spring training plans. Regardless, Eccles still noted the opportunity for racial disparities to emerge in what he knew of the protocol, which again, neither the team or MLB had provided when he spoke to the New York Daily News. Eccles is quoted as saying, Of our over 1,800 COVID-19 cases at this point, roughly 70% of them are African American. Given that those who are economically disenfranchised and look at the types of work done by individuals within our most vulnerable community, typically it's within the service industry. And so, we hope that agencies across the United States, including Major League Baseball, will make sure that all staff have access to testing and not just some. End quote. 
Dr. Kolick expressed similar sentiments and wants the league to extend its testing muscle. Deputy Commissioner Dan Halem told ESPN that MLB would process over 10000 a week beyond stadium workers, their households, and essential workers in the community, which the league pledged in Section 2.1.5 of the current proposal. Kolick wants teams to work with local health care systems to provide COVID-19 testing in areas where the most vulnerable populations reside. Kolick is quoted again as saying, there's people that still can't access COVID-19 tests in various communities across this country. So what is their obligation to help those people access the test? Dr. Vanita Duby, Toronto Public Health's associate medical officer, said they received the first draft through the Blue Jays, who sent it to the mayor's office and provided their input. Toronto's health requirements differed from the league's quarantine protocol, which doesn't call for the standard 14-day isolation recommended by the Centers for Disease Control or World Health Organization. Quote, TPH continues to advise anyone who has been in close contact with a COVID-19 positive case to isolate for 14 days and monitor for signs and symptoms of COVID-19. This is based on current evidence-based provincial, federal, and international public health recommendations and guidance, end quote. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred appeared to disagree with Toronto Public Health's position. Manfred was quoted to CNN in May, Our experts are advising us that we don't need a 14-day quarantine, Manfred said. And basically, there's a couple of more responses from different states in this article. But again, this is an article from Bradford Davis of the New York Daily News that he published yesterday in regards to the communication that Major League Baseball has had with public health officials in their respective cities. And while there were a lot of good points that were made by the health officials in that article, the one that I want to point to in particular is Rob Manfred's quote at the end, differing with what the city of Toronto wants to do and says that, he doesn't think they need a 14-day quarantine. Hey, Rob. Hey, buddy. You're not a health official. You don't work for the CDC or the World Health Organization. So for you to say that you don't think they need a 14-day quarantine is absolute bullshit. I'm sorry. If this is the stance that you're taking, why is it no surprise to me that we see an acknowledgement of risk waiver be added to MLB's new proposal. This is ridiculous. You are basically saying that you don't care about the player's health. That's what it says. You put this waiver in here, and you contrast the positions of the city of Toronto, the city of Milwaukee, the city of St. Louis, who we all referenced in that article from Bradford Davis, and then Rob Manford basically saying, well, we don't really think that's the case. That's your problem. The players know you don't care about their health. And so you put in an acknowledgement of risk waiver to basically say, if a player wants to play, they can play. If they don't, we won't pay them. And the union's not going to break from that. Again, it goes back to what Blake Snell was saying on his Twitch stream a couple of weeks ago. It's the risk that the players are taking health-wise that makes them want to have all of the money that they feel like is owed to them. Now look, Blake Snell is not going to get all of his money. We know that already. We pretty much assumed that to be the case from the jump. But the reason the players continue to argue for their full prorated salaries is because of the health risk that they are taking. 
And now, through the emails that were exchanged between the New York Daily News and these health officials, it is pretty clear that Major League Baseball does not care about the player's health. And that this acknowledgement of risk waiver is effectively Major League Baseball owners now finally coming to the forefront and saying, well, we know there's going to be a health risk for you when you're playing, so we don't want the liability if you get sick. So there's still a long way to go. And I just, even though in that one Jeff Passan tweet, an official said to him there will be baseball this year, I honestly don't think so unless Major League Baseball presents something different to the players' union that allows the players to receive their fully prorated salaries. The problem is now, it's June 8th. They are running out of time to be able to play a maximum amount of games. And as they run out of time, they are going to receive less and less money. So now, the biggest question is as follows. How do you reconcile your differences if you want a season? Do either of these sides even want a season? The Major League Baseball owners put this latest proposal forward because they thought it would look better. They figured that they could argue their same points in their same position in a different way. The players called BS and thus were back to square one. Unless the money changes from the side of Major League Baseball, nothing is going to change. This is another non-starter and we're back to pondering whether or not baseball will exist in 2020. Thanks for listening to another episode of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, everybody, and as always, we will catch you in the AM.